Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to be together this morning. I pray that you would work and bless even in other churches to your glory this morning, uh, work in the hearts and lives of those who are uh, our own brothers and sisters and aren't able to be with us. Pray that you would strengthen and encourage them. I pray that you would work through us now as we look to your word. Might you lift our thinking towards your thoughts and might you Show us uh, just a bit of what you are doing that you might get the glory and that we might be edified by looking to your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So as I've been doing, we're uh, alternating between uh, lecture style and uh, uh, more interaction and conversational style. And this week, looking to uh, the more lecture style uh, for this morning. However, um, I totally changed what I was going to do because of uh, something I found out uh, late in the week. And so if this is a little short, so be it. I think it's quite appropriate to current events, not in our life and our uh, church circumstance, uh, nor even in mine, but um, as it relates to uh, something that Dr. Bowder came upon in his circumstances of ministry and as it relates to another church, Prior Lake Baptist Church. Um, and so let me, let me begin by saying that uh, two weeks ago when we had uh, presented in terms of lecture on the theme of eschatology, uh, the point was that uh, the understanding of eschatology that we have from the New Testament needs to be grounded in understanding of the Old Testament. And so what I was planning to do today, and I got work writing up things toward this end, um, what I was planning to do today was to continue to uh, go down that theme by looking in particular at the foundation that God's sovereignty is for eschatology. Um, God is working for his purposes because of his power. Uh, he is sovereign, and thus uh, we can have hope even of his sovereignty over what is yet future from us right now. Uh, he is working uh, sovereignly in the present, and he's able to do so in the future. Thus, God's sovereignty is a, a ground and foundation of how we would think about eschatology. Um, but as I came across um, the nick of time this, this past week, um, I changed my direction because uh, the nick of time really does uh, center on an eschatological uh, theme. It centers on the theme of uh, the hope that Christians have. And this hope is grounded in the gospel, but this hope is a hope for eternity. This hope is a hope uh, not just for now, but even into uh, uh, eternity. And so what I would like to do is I'd like to uh, think a little bit about a circumstance that happened in the life of one of the families at Prior Lake Baptist Church and 
Um, I'm not going to tell the whole story. I do have a few copies of the Nick of Time that I printed out already. So after we're done with Sunday School, if you want uh, the more expansive version of the story from Dr. Bowder, I'm happy to distribute that. But as we uh, think about themes eschatological, God is sovereign, which is to say that God has power and authority to do all that he wills. And Isaiah, do you mind grabbing me a cup of water? That would be a help. Um, And as we think about God's sovereignty in doing all that he uh, wills, power to do so, um, that power is put into effect for his purposes, which are our eternal hope. And as we think about our eternal hope, we think not just about uh, corporate eschatology, that is what God will do in the grand scheme of human history as he brings human history to its conclusion, but also personal eschatology, that is what God will do in your life after you die, or your life after Christ comes in the rapture and uh, takes us to the clouds and home uh, to be with him for eternity. Um, personal eschatology, then, is the hope, hope that we're going to focus in on as we think on the topic this morning. Um, Dr. Bowder writes about, I'm not going to read uh, at, the, at the outset here, but Dr. Bowder writes at, uh, of how on July 2nd, uh, he found out about uh, the death of uh, one of the Civil Air Patrol cadets. I get to do uh, gymnastics here. Thank you, Isaiah. Um, so, background, Dr. Bowder is uh, a Civil Air Patrol chaplain. And the Civil Air Patrol is uh, preparations for... Uh, aeronautical training and uh, uh, exposure to um, all things uh, Air Force, or at least a good number of things Air Force. Um, if you want to know more, talk to my wife. Um, she would know more than I do, given that her uh, her dad was in the Air Force. But uh, Dr. Belder is a chaplain uh, for the young men. Uh, ages 12 through 21, who are in the Civil Air Patrol program. And uh, as a chaplain, one of the responsibilities is when there are catastrophes, when there are deaths, when there are um, uh, happenings, disastrous, uh, to be helping uh, for those who are in the Civil Air Patrol. Well, it happens that on July 2nd, a 15-year-old boy was riding his bike uh, one of the several air patrol uh, cadets, and uh, he was hit by a car and died. Um, he was only 15 years old, and his life was snuffed out. Um, I say snuffed out because, uh, as it happens, the the person who hit him, um, by re- according to the reports, was, was drinking. So thereafter... Um, that person was charged with vehicular manslaughter, homicide. Um, but the story doesn't end there uh, in the life catastrophic end of a young person, um, not very much older than uh, Luke, 
not very much younger than Haddon, so not a not a, a not an older person at all. Um, it reminds us that uh, death is uh, here for all of us at any moment that God ordains it. Uh, God is sovereign over the time when we die, and the question that I would have for us is, what is your hope if God? Um, brings you to your death today, or if God brings you to your death this week or this year, where is your hope? And this story has um, encouraging uh, encouraging ramifications because the 15-year-old boy who was killed was a 15-year-old boy who uh, is a part of a family who attends at Prior Lake Baptist Church. Um, members at Prior Lake Baptist Church. In fact, uh, he was brought to the Lord. I do not know how, um, but uh, he was brought to the Lord and um, by the discipleship of Prior Lake Baptist Church um, and God's working in his life, his parents saw that uh, his conversion to Christianity, his coming to Christ and understanding that Christ was the only hope for salvation from sin, his parents came to believe because of the difference that they saw in this young man's life. Uh, In fact, as the mother gives testimony to, and we'll read uh, um, in a moment, but as the mother gives testimony to um, when she was speaking at the funeral, uh, her son had not long ago been talking about how that uh, death for the believer, for the one who's following Christ, trusting in Christ for salvation from their sin. Uh, death is but an entrance into glory, to use my words, not 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 his. Um, death is to be with our Lord. Go from this life to eternity with Jesus. Um, and so this young man, from all that I can see of the testimony of uh, what he has been and done, um, was clearly a believer, trusting in the Lord, and his parents, because of his belief, had come to belief themselves and were faithful in following the Lord. And so then, uh, Dr. Balder, with a number of other uh, chaplains, was called to assist in being available for the uh, young men in the Civil Air Patrol and all those uh, otherwise who would be at the viewing and then at the funeral. And at this point, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read um, a, a little bit of the nick of time. This young man died not by fault of his, but God took him home. And God took him home at a very young age of 15. And so Dr. Bowder asked the question, what does one say? at the funeral of a teenager who is suddenly taken through no fault of his own. And I'll continue reading. In this case, the clear focus of the service from beginning to end was on the way of salvation and on the assurance that this cadet was in the presence of his Lord. One of the cadet's grade school teachers talked for several minutes about his him uh, leading him to the Lord. So here, it, uh, I didn't remember this leading him to the Lord after class one day and about how he had subsequently begun to live out his Christianity. Then the cadet's mother stood to address the assembly, and I'm 
similarly, similarly uh, akin in feelings to Dr. Bowder's, as he mentions here, uh, quote, I confess that I cringed inwardly. I am not a believer in family members doing memorials at funeral services. In this case, however, I was touched by her grace and poise. She had something important to say, and she refused to allow her emotions to get in the way of her saying it. She told the story of how her son had been the first member of their family to trust Christ as Savior. She and her husband had seen the genuineness of his faith, and it was this witness of his that eventually led to their trusting Christ. She explained what salvation meant, why people needed to be saved, what Christ had done so that they could be saved, and how they could receive the salvation that Christ offered. She expressed confidence at her son's destiny, and she told of a recent episode in which he had reminded her that death simply meant going to be with the Lord. This mother was in the middle of a shattering experience, perhaps the worst experience that any parent can endure. What her son failed to, when her son failed to return to his, from his bicycle ride, uh, she went looking for him. And according to reports, she came upon the crash scene herself. Uh, Belder continues then. The message that she delivered uh, while she was uh, speaking at the funeral service was overwhelmingly one of hope. Not the kind of hope that babbles about sentimental vacuities, but the kind of hope that is grounded in the work and character of God. This hope is an expectation that grows out um, the sub. Um, I think the word from is supposed to be here. This hope is an expectation that grows out from the substitutionary death and bodily resurrection of Jesus. It is more than wishful thinking. It is anticipation, and this biblical anticipation bases itself upon the certainty of Jesus' return and resurrection of the body. And let me interrupt at this time and say, what is hope? Hope is the confident expectation of future joy. Confident expectation of future joy. God has purposed that for those who belong to him, they will have confident expectation. Not, um, I hope we can go for ice cream while we're on vacation. Okay, That's in the plans, and it's something that I'd like to do, and something that our family would like to do. Um, but it might happen, or... Some uh, workings of different circumstances might in the get, get in the way of that happening. We hope in the sense of, in, in that sense, we hope in the sense that we, we, we desire for it to happen, but we don't know if it actually will. The hope that uh, you find spoken of in the scriptures is confident expectation. There's not uh, a lack of assurance that this thing or that thing that God has said will happen. Hope is confident expectation. Confident expectation of future joy. Joy in the past is a great delight to us. We think back to what uh, God has done. We think back to what uh, he has been kind in blessing us with in this past week 
in the the, uh, past year in our lives thus far. But the joy to which we look with confident expectation, the hope that we have, is a joy which will last eternally, is a joy that has no end because God is the unending ground of joy for all who are his. And so hope, as we think about it in biblical terms, is confident expectation of future joy. I have met Pastor Sam Choi. I haven't interacted with him a lot, don't know much about him. I have heard uh, good things about him uh, at numerous uh, points in time. Um, Pastor Sam Choi then gave the, the message. And I'll read then again from what Dr. Bowder says here. Pastor Sam Choi did an excellent, exceptional job of articulating the qualifications of Christ as Savior. Pastor Choi invited people to faith in Christ, an invitation that he later repeated at the committal. He provided clarity and specificity for the invitation to believe. Nevertheless, the moral weight behind the message came from the calm words deliberately chosen, spoken by a sorrowing mother who, in the midst of grief, of deep, deep grief, found hope in the gospel. Um, we can have hope now, even for joy that we do not yet have. That is the Christian point of hope. One day, this mother will be reunited with her son. And that isn't the greatest hope that she has. The greatest hope is that she and he will be with their Savior, will be with their God for all eternity. But hope as the scriptures presented is not a hope which glosses over the sorrows and griefs and calamities and hardships and pain of this life. The the gospel uh, as it is given to us has to be in the backdrop of, uh, uh, in the foreground to the backdrop of sin, right? We, we understand that even the hope of the gospel reminds us of things that are tragic and horrible and wicked. Um, that uh, backdrop of that which is true and real, that which is in accordance with uh, the world as it's been, as God created it and then it was uh, perverted by sin, that uh, reality is a reality that uh, biblical hope does not ignore. Biblical hope doesn't, as I said already, gloss over. And so I think that helpfully Dr. Bowder continues, Providence sometimes puts on a dark face. It fully recognizes that life in a world under sin will bring moments of utter blackness. In the middle of those moments, however, it clings to the teaching of Scripture, the promise of God, the work of Christ, and the truth of the gospel. 
When circumstances change for the very worst, it lays a hold of the promise that cannot change, and it refuses to let go. Uh, Hope is a confident expectation in that it will not let go of God's promises. What God has spoken concerning um, the future joy that we have, what God has spoken concerning the realities that we have not yet seen with our own eyes, that we can hold on to unflinchingly. If hope sometimes is in the midst of a dark face, the black, uh, blackest of moments of, of our life, um, we can still, even then, look forward to what God has for us eternally. And so I think as we consider a sovereignty in view of hope, uh, we can re- be reminded that God is working by his power and because of his authority to bring about his good purposes, purposes which pertain to his glory, but for all those who are his, for their good. And so I'd like to uh, conclude by directing us to two passages of Scripture. Second uh, Corinthians, turn to that first, pa- first chapter. Both of these passages speak of speak of hope. And I'll begin in Second Corinthians one and verse three. Second Corinthians 1 and that's third verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. That's language of hope. Our God is the Father of mercies. Our God is the God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all our affliction. That's the language of real hope. Not uh, a word that, that Dr. Bowder uses, Pollyanna-ish. Um, not Pollyanna-ish hot hope. Uh, not a sentimental hope. But a sure hope, a real hope. Um, there are afflictions. God who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. We follow in Christ's uh, pattern of suffering. But we know the comfort that Christ knew, the comfort that comes from his Father. But if we are afflicted, verse 6, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our 
comfort. Uh, here Paul is in 2 Corinthians uh, working to um, betray the, uh, the falsities of his accusers and those who had brought suffering upon him, um, falsely accusing him of lack of integrity, and especially in this uh, first chapter, as is pointed out in the uh, verses to follow, um, accusing him of changing his mind as to his plans for coming to Corinth and his vastitudes in that um, uh, in that regard being pointed out by the accusers as a reason to doubt Paul's integrity. So Paul is coming under suffering, but he know, he has a hope that even as uh, the Corinthians go through this suffering with them, with him, that this will um, be for his um, his comfort, um, the comfort of Paul and Timothy. Verse one. For we do not, verse eight, want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. Here's hope, confident hope. The one who actually raises people from the dead. That's the one in whom Paul trusts. We do not trust, would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. There's future joy. Will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope. And he will yet deliver us, you also joining and helping us through your prayers, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. Um, the future expectation of joy uh, isn't an automatic happening, which happens without our involvement in serving the Lord and being faithful to the purposes that he has for us. Uh, here Paul calls for the Corinthians to be faithful in praying for him. Verse 12, for our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you. Uh, think uh, in terms of the, the uh, accusations of the, the accusers and uh, the changes that uh, Paul had in his, in his plans. But he's, he's uh, sure of his uh, conscience before God in this matter. Verse 13, for we write nothing else to you than what you read and understand, and I hope you will understand until the end, just as you also partially did understand us, that we are your reason to be proud as you also are ours in the day of our Lord Jesus. Uh, Paul has hope that uh, the future for the Corinthians is bright just as his future is bright. Christ is coming again and Christ will fulfill all the joys that he has promised. Uh, here we find, I think, a gospel explanation, biblical explanation of hope, confident expectation of future joy. 
then lastly, turn with me to First Peter. And again, the first the first uh, chapter. It is not in all instances of biblical mention of hope that you find uh, mention of end time happenings and eschatological events. But here again, as in First uh, Second uh, Corinthians, you have uh, you have the reminder that there is there is. Uh, the end that is coming. First uh, Peter one and verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a blessing and a hope that is grounded in reality and who God is and who our Lord is, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living. Here's our theme: hope caused us to be born again to a living hope. Not a fanciful hope or a wishful hope, but a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. If someone tells you you're in heaven now, you can laugh at them. You can scoff. But there is a hope which is reserved in heaven. The hope of being eternally with our Lord. Who are protected, verse 5, by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, the fullness of our salvation has not yet been accomplished in our experience. That fullness of our salvation experience is yet to come, future from us. Hope, confident expectation in future joy. And that is what Peter is speaking as he speaks in terms of the suffering that the the church in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia had come to know. Um, here is our hope. Not in what might happen, but in what will happen because God is sovereign and because God is good. I don't know what this day will bring forth or this week, much less this year. But I do know that if you are the Lord's in the promise of Scripture, there is a hope that is sure. It is a hope found with our Father God in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we do sorrow 
in the realities of suffering. And yet, because of your word, because of what you have promised, we sorrow as those with hope. We sorrow as those confidently expecting future joy. I pray that as we trust to your hand in our lives, as we think about the perfection of your plan, even for the end of human history, that we would study these themes with hope. I pray this because of the one who is our hope. Amen.